0: You're listening to the McKinsey on Consumer and Retail podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the topics that matter most in the consumer and retail industries. I'm your host, Monica Toriello.
1: Let's get into our shops and talk to our customers. No better way do you understand what they're looking for. And it's very easy to build your business according to data, but you have to listen to how people are feeling as well. Let's not just rely on data.
0: That was Anne Pitcher one of the luminaries of the luxury retail world, and our guest speaker for today. Welcome back, everyone. We took a hiatus for a few months, but we are back in 2023, starting with this episode in which department store veteran Ann Pitcher shares her views on the future of retail, on luxury, on sustainability, and on what it means to truly bring the voice of the customer into the room. Anne has been in the department store business for four decades, including 18 years at Selfridge's. She was managing director of Selfridge's Group, which at the time encompassed four department store chains, Selfridge's in the UK, Holt Renfrew in Canada, Brown Thomas in Ireland, and De Bayenkorf in the Netherlands. Then earlier this year, she started her newest role as deputy chairman of Holt Renfrew. And just before that transition, Anne spoke to McKinsey senior partner, Anita Balcindani, in London. Here are Anita and Anne.
2: Anne, you have absolutely been a legendary retailer uh, over the decades. Many of the things that you set out to do years ago, whether they were around destination shopping or e-commerce have really set the tone for how the industry is evolving and what's going to come next. How do you know what the future is going to look like and what do you think is coming next?
1: I've become increasingly aware during recent years that we need to allow people the space to think um, in probably different horizons, so horizon one, two and three has been a brilliant way for me to allow people to do their job, get the job of the day done. Get the money in the till, deliver the budgets, but also think about the next five to ten years.
2: When you think about Horizon 3, what are some of the themes in Horizon 3 that most excite you?
1: (laughs) Excite. There are some spectacularly challenging things in Horizon 3, you know, and, and, and more recently we've begun to consider what Web 3 or the metaverse may look like. We've seriously been on a path of exploration as far as how our sustainability um, commitments will develop over over the coming years and and as importantly how our customers um, and the teams and our partners across our organization may be feeling about those things and of course you know uh, the number one question is how physical stores and um, websites may work together in, in what I've begun to consider is a kind of infinity loop an exploration how one thing that happens in one must without question happen in the other channel, because that's how people live, think, feel, and of course, ultimately shop.
2: Anand, the thesis over the last decade in retail has often been that online is going to trump the stores. But I think the recovery from COVID has proven how remarkably resilient the store channel is, and the deep conviction that you've always had in omni-channel seems to be you know, gaining ground and uh, holding strong. What do you see as the right balance between digital and physical? I think your infinity loop phrase is actually a good way of highlighting the interconnectedness between the two. But how do you see those two come together? And uh, specifically, what are some of the experiences that you think will really make the most difference for consumers?
1: As retailers, we like metrics, we like goals, we like performance data. Um, I think, you know, we just referred to uh, whatever, whatever is happening in the metaverse, you know, uh, nine letters that strike fear into the heart of any executive. Um, for me it's an opportunity to think how we need to knit these different platforms together. It would be nice to put a metric on what percentage of your overall volume should come from digital. I think that's difficult today uh, and we've seen how much that has fluctuated during the last three years when physicals being closed down, uh, everybody went to digital, now the two operate side by side. There's perhaps more balance, Um, but as we move forward, I'm just going for balance here, and we just, I like this idea of the infinity loop, how we make the two sit happily side by side.
2: And again, I mean, over the last decade, there's been a lot of speculation around the department store format, and indeed, would it ever survive? What is your sort of belief in the future of the department store, and what would it take to create a thriving department store in the next decade?
1: (laughs) Hopefully it's thriving now and will continue to thrive as a a group of stores. Um, In the future, you will be able to experience anything you wish in some form of digital space, Web3 platform, wherever. You will be able to do anything you like digitally. So surely customers, people, teams, real people must want to experience things physically. I'm sure people will want to do both. But the role of the department store is that we bring that to life in a way that is incredibly um, joyful, uh, entertaining, experiential. We will none of us be able to just hang a bunch of clothes on a rail and expect people to come shopping or to boast brands in a way that we have done so successfully for the last decade or so. We will need to consider the social and environmental concerns that our customers and people, people around us have and bring those to life in a way that at Selfridges we always have. And my view would be that, you know, as department stores are increasingly focused on the challenge of driving traffic into their stores and then hoping to convert customers, I think we should be friendly, open, welcoming spaces where people understand that we understand them and that's a kind of completely different philosophy Uh, If we can do that um, using the infinity loop of the physical and the digital then I think the future of the department store must be bright.
2: The last decade, as we know, has been um, one of huge growth for the luxury industry. It's been powered by the increase in high net worth individuals around the globe, particularly North America, Middle East and China. And the industry, as we know, has been in an ever increasing quest towards premiumization. And yet you've been a fabulous voice around democratizing luxury. You've bought luxury, but your angle and spin on luxury has always been also very democratic, uh, which I think marks you out as quite unique in the space. And what's the worldview that inspired that? How do you sort of think about bringing in sort of luxury, but with this sort of very democratic uh, angle into uh, consumers' lives? I think uh,
1: luxury will continue to uh, show strong growth, Um, but the luxury customer doesn't always just want to shop in a mono brand luxury environment. And the luxury customer isn't always head to toe in luxury. We all like to explore, to have fun, uh, to embrace a wealth of different ideas, um, styles, products. And so I think. By introducing luxury to Selfridges and balancing that with an entirely accessible range of products and services I think yes it has been a secret formula um, people often say to me you know you just pile everything in in a way that I said, no, it's a very carefully curated edit whereby for every item of luxury we have something to balance it and that we bring the everyday to life with luxury so this is a place this store, most of our stores are places where you can buy a pint of milk and a newspaper or you can buy a luxury handbag and I think it's that that kind of sparks a sense of excitement um, and an experience and a sense of I've come in to buy a luxury item but I found something
2: I never knew I wanted or something that was just so interesting. I have a sense, Anne, that we're going to be sort of watching what you do next in this whole space. So, I'm sure we have a lot to look forward to. But just taking us on to a slightly different but related theme of personalization. Clearly, personalization in luxury takes lots of different forms. It could be everything from the personalized handbag. But more fundamentally, it could be through the how you deploy your understanding of the consumer through the data that you capture as well, to make sure you're sort of bringing them experiences and brands that really, that they care about and absolutely are sort of, you know, resonate with them in the moment. How do you think about the personalization of experiences through the use of data and the journey that um, Selfridges has been on with this?
1: Let me place a health warning on it. Uh, As most people talk about the power and the importance of big data, I'll always, I will always be the one that brings you back to real life. Um, I believe in future people are going to be much more protective over their data. I may be talking Horizon 3, I may be talking 10 to 20 years, but we must all consider what that will look like and how we will develop. I'm sure people are going to be more protective of their data in the future. And for the today then, we also have to be aware of the cost of this piece of work. We've all seen the cost of digital marketing soar. It's actually unaffordable and becoming less and less effective. So if we're going to look at understanding our customer better through data, we have to be aware how much money we want to spend in order to achieve what. Let's not forget those of us that have real life, hundreds of thousands of square feet of people. Let's get into our shops and talk to our customers. No better way do you understand what they're looking for. I think uh, my other health warning for, for data is, don't believe everything data tells you have an eye to the future on what people are looking for. And it's very easy to build your business according to data, but you have to listen to how people are feeling as well. And I think if you can put the science next to the reality, then you can surely build a far better business. Let's not just rely on data.
2: Now sustainability has been another area where you have been a front runner in. Today, pretty much everybody has it as a top three item on their agenda you were very early around uh, championing sustainability at Selfridges. What drove that and um, how do you sort of also think about the complex conundrum between shopping, consumption, production in the face of climate change?
1: Our sustainability journey began right back in 2004 when we took the decision to remove fur from our business and that was a direct result of listening to our customers. It was a brave decision, I mean, it wasn't a small business, but by taking it away, I, uh, I can prove that we met a whole new bunch of customers who were taking notice of, of that, that action. Of course, um, it took us a, a while to understand how to move forward uh, with the removal of single-use plastics, um, which was, I think it took us two years, actually, not only to work out how to do it, because that's a split-second decision, but how to take a category out of our organisation with a huge sales number attached to it and not budget a downturn in sales, but put a 10% increase on the, the different way we sell, we sell water. And I think that was an interesting moment for me when I understood that you could take a different path and build a bigger business. Um, because I think a lot of people look at sustainability as a cost exercise, and I believe it's a, a value exercise in terms of emotional response of your your people, customers, teams, partners. Our sustainability journey comes from a a position, and I think this is really important, um, of authenticity. Uh, We've been at it for years. We're not greenwashing, and at every point we try to prove that, and I think our customers know that. So firstly, fur, secondly, single-use plastics, thirdly, the removal of precious skins, and we continue with our commitments uh, to pledge a way forward And we've become more and more positive uh, as we see the response from our customers to our plans. So don't look at it as a cost exercise. Look at it as an opportunity to engage and acquire a new customer, which is not only better for the planet, but probably better for the purse because the cost of acquiring customers through data today um, has, has to change in some format. Perhaps this could be a new route. I think customers, no no regulation forces you to do it, but businesses that work ahead of regulation show that they have have an authentic um, position on sustainability. Um, Secondly, um, I think our goal has always been to bring it to life uh, for people, and so we have tried to create a model where we put the voice of the customer into the room Uh, We've heard that saying a lot. We've tried to understand what it means to them and so we we have three priorities or the way we've set our sustainability journey is around models, materials and mindsets. So business models is how we are beginning to explore how people are shopping and what that means to our organisation. So years ago it took retailers, department stores, particularly ages to work out how to build websites and integrate them into their organisations. We cannot let circular... And the new growing circular business models um, put us in the same position we need to explore those today um, our materials commitments are really uh, uh, in the public space um, and determined very difficult for a retailer that doesn't make anything to work closely with their partners to understand products and, and materials and where they come from and what they're made of but our journey is ambitious this is hard stuff um, and I am increasingly um, committed to the fact that no single business will be able to fix this on their own. The third part of our, um, our mission is to change people's mindsets and to change, and to change the way they shop. So there are, I think, very customer-driven focuses. 87% of our teams work here, they tell us, because of our commitment to sustainability. Interestingly enough, um, north of 85% of our customers tell us the same thing. They care passionately about sustainability and like what we're sharing with them and the experiments that we're conducting. And so, you know, it seems like this is the right stuff, um, but it's really hard. Critical here as well, um, and not always um, put within a sustainability umbrella, is a business that talks to a very wide customer base, and has a huge variety, a variety, breadth of individuals working within the organisation, uh, has to understand its position on diversity equity, and inclusion, and this has been a very recent journey uh, that Selfridges has been on. We've always been, um, we've always prided ourselves on having a diverse um, team here, but having the statistics around that has been really important, and so. Um, in recent years, we've been able to actually understand the makeup of our teams much better um, and particularly understand um, how gender affects on gender pay gap reporting, uh, a very big commitment uh, to equal pay across our entire organisation. Again, most, most businesses would think that comes with a healthy price tag. Actually, when you explore the detail, I passionately believe it's the plan that matters. And it starts at the very basics of an organization with recruitment policies and an understanding that a balanced boardroom gives you a better solution. And a balanced team in store, is far more welcoming to a very diverse customer group.
2: And all of the McKinsey research around diversity and inclusion would absolutely back up what you've just said, right? We see a very clear correlation between improved financial performance, economic performance, and the diversity um, index of a company. You know, yet if we step back, the track record of the fashion industry, particularly at senior levels, is still not brilliant. How do you see the next phase of this evolve and what do you think are the real unlocks for the fashion industry to sort of really set the record straight when it comes to diversity and inclusion, particularly uh, topics such as gender diversity at the senior levels?
1: I mean, it's a really big question and, and, uh, and we have to ask ourselves, as girls, Anita, um, why, why it is so difficult. I think uh, it is important to understand, uh, and I think soon we will be forced by legislation Uh, to create a more balanced um, executive leadership team but let's not wait to be forced let's try and understand how or why it makes a difference yes the metrics say you get better financial results I think that's that's motivating Um, but actually if you ask your people what they think they will tell you this has to happen I would just encourage everyone to talk to their teams and find out what inspires them and you will find out a balanced boardroom, a balanced leadership team, is inspiring and not just to women.
2: The last decade uh, as you've shaped Selfridge's group has had many exciting elements of this chapter. Um, But my sense from this conversation is there's a lot that you're excited about as you look to the next chapter as well. What are you most excited about as you look ahead?
1: Well, I am excited um, about the future of retail. I think there's so much negativity out about there, but I think there's so much more to be done. I think so many people are waiting to go shopping and have fun, and I have a role to play in that. I'm excited uh, to continue to be working with Holt Renfrew uh, and to bringing that business um, more on its journey, which is inspiring. And a few other things in, the, in 2023, which will um, continue my journey anyway, of bringing sustainability to life within organizations, um, helping women in their leadership roles, um, and creating a conversation about experience that is future thinking. The future is bright for us all if we we look, listen, and learn.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the McKinsey on Consumer and Retail podcast. A transcript of this conversation will be posted on mckinsey.com very soon. To suggest topics for future episodes, email us at consumer at mckinsey.com. To stay connected with us, subscribe to our email alerts on mckinsey.com. Thanks again for listening.